We offer all of this service up to you. We want everything we say and do this morning to be glorifying to you, to bring praise and honor to you. We want that now as we turn to your word. Father, we want to hear you speak to us now as we open up your word. And so any of our fears and anxieties or weariness that we're feeling, Lord, we pray that you would remove that from us and push it off to the side or just remove it completely so that we can hear you clearly. Nothing We want nothing to distract us, but we want to hear you speak clearly and powerfully. So we ask you to do that now as we turn. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're continuing to work our way through the book of First Peter. And so, hopefully you have your Bibles with you. And you can open up your Bible to First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going through the end of the chapter, through 25. And a reminder, as you're opening your Bibles up, a reminder that this was written by the Apostle Peter to a group of people exiled across the country, people separated from their homes and going through a time of difficulty and distress. It's a book written to those on how to live the Christian life in the midst of difficult situations. So verse 13 through 25. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. I have to begin by saying I never, ever, ever imagined that I would use this song in a sermon illustration. <laughs> never, ever. So uh, bear with me a bit 
because I think it will help us see things in a different light. And I don't really even know why I remember this song so much. I don't remember the song because it was really any good. Um, And I don't remember this song because I recommend it to anyone. Um, But it still stuck in my head. A song written by Neil McCoy called Billy's Got His Beer Goggles On. (laughs) I don't know if any of you remember that song. Probably most of you lived a holier life than I did. And don't remember that song, which is good. I don't recommend it. But here's how the chorus of that song goes. He's on the dance floor yelling free bird, singing off pitch, but he knows every word. Grabs him another girl and he holds on tight. Now he's chasing everything in sight. He'll fall apart when he gets home. Right now his worries are gone. Life looks good, good, good. Billy's got his beer goggles on. A little different than quoting John Calvin, isn't it? (laughs) But if you didn't get the gist from the chorus, the, the idea of beer goggles is that once someone gets a few beers in them, they start seeing the world around them differently. And they don't see it accurately. And so they start to think that they are a good singer when they are not a good singer. They begin to think that they can dance when they are not a good dancer. They begin to think that unattractive people are attractive. They begin to think that life is good, 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 when really life is just a mess. When reality, he's going to go home and he's going to fall apart. Because our because beer goggles distort reality around us. And Scripture repeatedly tells us that, that we're kind of walking around in this world with our own beer goggles on. Because our sinful nature distorts reality. It causes us to kind of walk around through this world in a drunken fog. Our sinful nature causes us to think that we can do certain things that we can't do. It causes us to think that certain things are attractive when those things are not attractive. Our sinful nature causes us to think that life is just good, good, good. It's fine when an actuality is everything is falling apart. Because our sinful nature distorts reality. And like I mentioned last week, we need our vision to clear up. We, we need to be able to see the world around us rightly and, and accurately. We need to see things as they really are. And so, in last week's message, I talked about the importance of being born again in order to be able to see the kingdom of God or be able to see things rightly. For us to see things clearly, we need to be born again. And then this passage takes that and adds another dimension to it. If you look at verse 23, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. So it says you've been born again. You you can see things clearly now. And you've been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. That it's through the Word of God that, that faith is born in our hearts and we give our faith to Christ, and we are born again. So it's through the Word of God that we begin to see things clearly. So this is why John Calvin says, 
you know, I had to just balance uh, Billy's got his beer goggles on with John Calvin or something. So here's, here's what Calvin has to say about Scripture. For just as eyes, when dimmed with age or weakness or by some other defect, unless aided by spectacles, discern nothing distinctly, so such is our feebleness. Unless Scripture guides us in seeking God, we are immediately confused. So Calvin says that the Word of God, Scripture, actually functions like corrective lenses. That, that we go through the world with beer goggles on, everything being distorted, not seeing things accurately, but then when the Word of God comes in front of us, it corrects our vision. It helps us to begin seeing things accurately. We begin to see things that are truly attractive as being attractive. We begin to see things that are truly destructive as destructive. We begin to rightly see what is what we can and what we cannot do. Scripture actually helps us to accurately see when life is really good, 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 or accurately see when our life is falling apart. God's Word actually begins to help us see things clearly and to see reality. And when we begin to see things clearly, we begin to see that God's Word has this living and enduring character. In verses 24 and 25, it says, All people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And when our eyes are open, we begin to see that we live in a world that's fading away. Flowers rising and dying. People living and dying. All things are passing away, but it's the Word of the Lord that stands forever. And and as we dive into the Word of the Lord that stands forever, and our eyes are opened, and as our vision gets clearer, we begin to see Jesus Christ more clearly. If you look at verses 20 and 21, it says we, we can begin to see that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so now your faith and hope are in God. You see, as the beer goggles begin to come off and as our vision begins to get cleared up and we begin to see things rightly, we begin to see our own sin actually begin to see that life was not as good as we thought it was. That life was much more of a mess than we ever thought it was. That we, that we had fallen into sin much further than we ever expected. That actually things are much worse than we imagined. And yet, on the flip side, then, we begin to see that, that God holds out this salvation for us. That we begin to see that Jesus came into the world, He lived, and He died, and He rose again for our He came and lived and died and rose again so that He could pull us out of our drunken stupor and put our feet on a rock so that we could follow Him. He cleaned us up. He forgave our sins. He gave us His righteousness. And and He said, "I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll do all of that for those who turn to Me in faith and trust in Me alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Which is why Peter says in in verse 21, he says, So then our faith and our hope are in God. Because He's the one who saved us, 
Because he's the one who pulls us out of our drunken stupor. Our faith and our hope are in him. Not in all these other things that, that pass away and fade away. And, and all these other things that may look attractive to us now only look attractive to us now because we've got beer goggles on. In reality, our faith and our hope are in God alone. That's it. And so if you go to verse 13, Peter says, So then, or therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. So Peter says, since our faith and our hope are in God alone, he says, now in the midst of this difficulty, now set your hope fully on God and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Set it fully there because that's the only hope you can have in the world that doesn't fade. And we need to take a step back and and make sure that we understand what that means. We need to take a step back and understand how this applies to us. Because our faith and our hope are in God alone. Nothing else. Our faith and our hope are in the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so that means that now in the midst of our current difficulty, in the midst of our struggle, our only hope in this struggle must be God and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And, and since we, we still have these remnants of these beer goggles on, we, we're tempted to put our faith and hope in all these other places, all these places that I mentioned last week. We're tempted to put our faith and hope in government, in medicine, in science, in money, in power, even in ourselves. And if we actually put our hope and our faith in those things, it's because we are not seeing things rightly. Because they all fade away. They all pass. They all disappear. Our hope comes from God alone. And so Peter says, set your hope fully on God and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And then he tells us that he gives us some idea of what to do because Peter recognizes that that's difficult. That's why he's giving us this exhortation right now saying, I know it's hard to do in times like this, but but here's what I want you to do, he says in verse 13. With minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope fully on God. Because the temptation in the midst of difficulty like this is to walk around sleepy and in kind of a drunken fog. To just kind of wander around with meaningless and purposelessness and not really knowing what's going on. And so Peter says we need to have minds that are alert, that are awake, and we need to be fully sober as we walk around through life. We need to be able to see things clearly so that when we do see things clearly, we set our hope fully on God's grace. And one of the ways we do that is through reading God's Word. Like I already mentioned earlier, God's, God's Word functions like corrective lenses over our eyes, clearing up the distortion of our beer goggles. But, but Scripture also says in, in Hebrews 4.12 that God's Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, 
joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so not only does God's Word begin to help us see things clearly, but now we have this weapon in our hand to fight off lies and deception and temptation. God's Word really cuts through all of the distortions and all of the lies and gets to the heart. Gets to our heart and gets to the heart of the matter. And so in the midst of this, as we read God's Word, it it opens our eyes to see things clearly. It helps us to live sober lives. And it helps us to have minds that are awake so so that we can live our lives with the hope that God has given us. And so reading Scripture helps us to be awake and sober as we live in the midst of difficulty. But the Word of God also does something else. In 2 Timothy three, sixteen through 17 it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Word of God helps to clear up our vision, and the Word of God helps function as a, as a weapon to fight off lies and deception and temptation. But it also equips us for every good work. It equips us to live in the world. And the important part of me sharing these verses is to help us see that our thoughts and our emotions and our actions are all connected to each other. See, the Word of God clears up our, our thoughts It gives us hope, which is an emotion, but it also equips us to live out every good work. It equips us to do God's work in the world. And so they're all connected. You can't just focus on thoughts. You can't just focus on feelings. And you can't just focus on actions. They're they're all connected to one another. They all affect one another. And so as we read Scripture, our, our vision is cleared up, and we have hope in the midst of difficulty But then it also equips us to live out the Christian life in this world. So when you look at verses 14 through 16, Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And Peter's point in this is that as we begin to live out our hope in the world, as we recognize that our hope is in God alone, and as we set our hope fully on God, then we begin to live holy lives in the world. Or another way, now that our beer goggles have been removed, we begin to see things clearly, and we begin to see things that are truly attractive for what they are. The, the, the holy things of God are actually true and good and beautiful. And so we pursue those things and we see the sinfulness of the world and we see it as destructive and ugly and devastating. And so we stop following after those things and we turn toward God and we live the beautiful and holy life He has called us to. That's what living in hope is. And Peter gives us help in this. He, he gives us some ideas on how to help us live in that hope and how to live holy lives in the midst of difficult times. In verses 17 through 19, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Okay? In reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Peter says something really important in the midst of exile, in the midst of a difficult situation, he says we need to live with reverent fear. Reverent fear. We don't talk about that much, I don't think. I think we talk about how God is our Father, how Jesus is our buddy, but we do not talk much about fearing God with a reverent fear. Not a fear that drives us away from God, but a fear, a reverent fear that draws us close to God, but recognizes who God is as the one who created the heavens and the earth with the breath of his mouth. And so Peter says we are to live in this reverent fear because God pulled us out of our drunken stupor and adopted us into his family, and now we're his children. And I was thinking about this in light of our current situation because a lot of people are living in fear right now. A lot of people are living in fear. I mean, tons of people are are afraid of this virus, so they're afraid of the virus spreading. They're afraid of the effects of the virus, the fact that it makes it hard for you to breathe. They're, they're afraid of possibly catching the virus or even spreading this virus to their loved ones. And those are the fears that get talked about all the time. But there's a lot of other fears out there controlling people in relation to this virus. Some people are being controlled by their fear of the crashing economy. Some people are being controlled by their fear of isolation and loneliness. Some people are being controlled by their fear of government overreach. But this passage reminds us that our fear of God must be higher than any of our fears of any of those other things. Our fear of God should trump any fear of the virus, of the economy, of the government, of the loneliness. We, uh, every step we take, every decision we make, every thought that runs through our brain, every word that comes through our mouth has to run through the filter of the fear of God. Not the fear of the virus, not the fear of the government, not the fear of whatever. It must be run through the filter of the fear of God. And that's so important for us to remember right now in times of this. Because like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we get in the midst of a difficult season and we start to get tired and weak and worn out. And as we get tired and weak and worn out, we also begin to be afraid of so many different things. And as we're afraid of many different things, and as we're tired and wore out, we really easily fall into temptation. We easily fall into sin. And we easily fall back into destructive patterns and habits. And Peter says, in the midst of this, in the midst of all of the the fear going on inside of you, in the midst of the exhaustion and the tiredness and just the I'm sick and tired of all of this, in the midst of that, Peter says, keep your eyes on God. And then reverently fear Him above all things. 
that we should be much more afraid of living an unholy life right now than afraid of catching the virus. We should be much more afraid of falling into moral failure than the falling of our economy. Now that our beer goggles have been removed and we begin to start seeing things clearly, we have to live with the fear of God before our eyes. And as we live with the fear of God before our eyes, then, then we start to live a certain way. And Peter gives us a hint of that in verse 22. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. That's what it looks like to set our hope fully on God. That's what it looks like to live in reverent fear in this world. It looks like loving one another deeply and from the heart. To have our beer goggles removed and to see the world rightly stirs our hearts to actually love one another deeply from the heart. And it's again, it's important for Peter to make this explicit to us. Because in the midst of trial and in the midst of difficulty, we have a tendency to turn in on ourselves. All of a sudden, something happens and some trial comes and, and the, the survival mode switch flips in our, in our life. And now we're in survival mode and now we're focused on caring for me, myself, and I. And we become selfish and self-centered. And that's not a good thing. Even, even though the beer goggles come back on and you begin to think, I need to just care for myself during this right now, it's actually not a good thing. And so Scripture corrects that and it, it begins to clear up our eyesight and tells us we need to look beyond ourselves to other people and we need to love them deeply from the heart. We don't need to focus more on ourselves right now. We need to focus on loving others deeply from the heart. And the amazing thing is that when you do that, when you move past yourself and begin to love others from the heart, you find joy and peace waiting there. You actually find hope there in the midst of difficult times. Because, because hope and holiness are deeply connected. They're not two separate things. That as we set our hope fully on God's grace, we begin to live now the holy lives that God has called us to do. And, and as we begin to live out that hope, we begin to live in reverent fear of God. We begin to love one another deeply from the heart. And, and then as we do those things, our faith gets strengthened and deepened and, and our hope begins to grow and our joy gets deepened and and we begin to see how hope and holiness tie together when we have when we set our hope fully on God it stirs our hearts to live holy lives but then as we live holy lives it stirs and deepens and strengthens our faith so that we set our hope more fully on God you can't have one without the other we need hope and holiness and so I encourage you in this time of difficulty, set your hope fully on God and then seek to live a holy life.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we continue to come to you and thank you for being our God. We thank you for being a shelter we can run to in a storm. We thank you for being the God who calms the wind and the waves in the midst of the storm. And we thank you for being a God we can cast our anxieties on and trust. Father, we ask your forgiveness that we so often put our faith and hope in other things in this world. That we so often trust in things that are worthless and reject trusting in you who is worth everything. Father, forgive us. And then empower us through your spirit to set our hope more fully on you in this time. Empower us through your spirit to live the holy lives you created us to. Help us to see you as you truly are and to have a proper reverent fear of you. And empower us to love one another deeply from the heart. Father, we want to glorify you and honor you in everything we say and do. So empower us by your spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.